I think it's safe to say that these are officially the best seats in the house. Oh, definitely. I mean, my living room couch is probably the most comfortable place I could be watching this riveting Djokovic-Fritz match. Hold on a second. I just checked the news and Melbourne is going into a five-day lockdown and the spectators are being escorted from the stands. Okay, so for realistic effect, I think I will now move from my living room to my bedroom. The experience is the closest I'll get to Australia as of now anyways. Hello everyone and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Shravya and Josefina. Josefina and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Shravya and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the young female voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for, so we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. Alright, welcome back to Hold On To Your Racket. It's been a couple days since our last episode, since we like to do um, episodes after each round concludes. And now we've officially finished week one of the Australian Open. We're going into week two with the round of 16 coming up. Um, But Josephina, how would you say you felt about the Australian Open so far, having Grand Slam tennis back? I think definitely as we move further into the tournament, the like the matches have higher stakes and they get more interesting. I mean, some of the some of the matches we're going to see going into the round of 16 are like truly exciting. Yeah, and also some of them I wouldn't even expect to have in a round of 16 stage already. We're going to talk about it in a little bit, but we have Osaka versus Muguruza, Berrettini versus Tsitsipas. These are matches that seem like, you know, it seems like the Australian Open just started and we're already seeing these exciting matchups coming up. So really excited about that. But before we get into, you know, the actual tennis, we wanted to go over some of the hot headlines. So most notably, of course, we know that um, you've probably heard that Melbourne has gone into a lockdown um, because of a rise in coronavirus cases. So and this definitely has an impact on the Australian Open. So the state of Victoria has seen a growing cluster of COVID cases over the past few weeks. And the government decided to reimpose stage four restrictions, which means they're going to be implementing a five day minimum snap lockdown and so the outbreak that kind of triggered this response began at a hotel airport in melbourne um unrelated to the australian open um but you know that it has seen uh the the state has seen a rise in cases so they're going to be going into a snap lockdown for a minimum of five days and daniel andrews the victoria state premier said the uk strain is moving at a velocity that has not been seen anywhere in our country and this is the advice i have been given by our health experts sporting events will function as a workplace but not for entertainment because there will be no crowds so of course when he says sporting events this is where we see the australian open come into play when it comes to this lockdown and also professional athletes have been classified as quote-unquote essential athletes now definitely definitely not helping the ego situation when it comes to tennis players right now and the Australian Open tournament director Craig Tiley about said about returning to a bubble for the snap lockdown that those that will be allowed on site will be players and direct support teams as well as staff members unable to do their work from home those essential to the delivery of the event will be on site So definitely a big change in plans here. I mean, we saw how we finally had the crowds back 
at the Grand Slams, like a normal amount of crowd, and all of a sudden they're gone again. So this might even affect how the players receive and play their matches. Yeah, so obviously this means that fans can't attend the Australian Open until at least the quarterfinals. Um, there was a little bit of reduced capacity this year and some like new rules about like um, they could only like fans could only stay within certain stadiums depending on the kind of ticket that they bought. Um, but still a lot more normal than the other Grand Slams we've seen in uh, COVID times. But um, that's definitely going to have an impact. I think the Kyrgios team match, you saw the crowd was going crazy and the crowd knew that this is going to be the last time that they'd have fans there in a while. So they made the most of it. And, you know, that same day, during the Djokovic versus Taylor Fritz match, that had to be paused for about 10 minutes at midnight to make sure that the crowd was escorted since the lockdown was starting. So, um, we definitely appreciated the fans that we had up till now. Hopefully, they'll be able to return soon uh, after the snap lockdown. Um, But definitely, you know, sad to see that they'll be gone um, for these few days, especially as we do have some really good matchups coming. And our next hot headline has to do with Andy Murray. Some positive news for him because we did see what happened with him about a month ago. And we're about to give you a little background on that. Just a little reminder. So he tested positive on January 11th, just days before he was supposed to fly out to Melbourne for the Australian Open. And then later, the Australian Open released a statement saying that he would not be able to join the official Australian Open charter flights. And because of that he would miss the mandatory quarantine period with the other players. So Andy Murray said later that he's pretty sure that he caught the virus while he was training at the LTA's uh, National Tennis Center in London. The LTA is the Lawn Tennis Association, so for the UK. Um, And Andy said, I stuck to all of the protocols that were in place. I didn't leave my house or the NTC for the 10 weeks of training. I was very careful because it's not just for tennis reasons. So... That outbreak also infected other people who attended the facility. But, you know, as Andy Murray said, not only is he frustrated about missing the Australian Open since he did receive a wild card for that and was excited to play, but he was more concerned about the fact that he had passed on the virus to his wife and their three um, kids. So that's definitely the greater issue that Andy Murray was worried about when he tested positive. And yeah, like you just said, Murray did have a wild card for the Australian Open, just like he did for a few recent tournaments, and he was prepared to use it to the best of his ability. What he said was, I still am gutted about it. When I'm sitting in my hotel room here, when I'm obviously healthy and fit and ready to play and compete, seeing the tournaments going on over there is tough because I'd prepared really, really well. It had probably been the best two or three months training I had done in the last few years. So we know he went over that stretch of like super injury prone time his hip surgeries and he was finally ready to get back to playing and this happened so it's been super unlucky yeah but you know unfortunately it's great to hear that he had those three uh months of training that went really well we kind of saw a glimpse of that at at the um battle of the brits event people were saying that he was doing really well there and it's unfortunate that he couldn't bring that level to the australian open but he, you know, being the champion that he is, he actually entered, entered a challenger event in Viela, Italy, which is what we want to talk about here because, you know, he's using his time wisely to kind of ease back in tournaments at the challenger level. And I think it's good that he didn't make his comeback after those great few months at 
the Australian Open in a sense because that would mean he would be playing a lot of best of five set matches. So maybe that wouldn't be the best way to ease back into playing after such a great period of training. So Definitely. it's good that he's taking advantage of um, this time that he has and playing a challenger level tournament because this is a guy who has won multiple Grand Slams, world number one. He hasn't played a challenger tournament in a while probably. So to see him doing this is pretty admirable. We saw, I think, Wawrinka and Nishikori doing the same when they were coming back from injuries too. So it really goes to show you how much he cares. And he's doing really well. He's into the semifinals at the Challenger event and definitely looking in prime position to take the whole thing. So very admirable there from Andy Murray. So moving right into the tennis talk, we have our round three recap and round of 16 preview. So we'll be starting that off with some matches of the round, WTA and ATP. So for our WTA match of the round, I loved this match. I think everyone was going crazy about this match. It was so... I've never watched a match like that in my life. Um, Shea Su Wei defeats Sara Arani 6-4-2-6-7-5 to reach the round of 16. And Shea Su Wei was down 5-3 in the third set. So if you watch this match, I mean, this was really an exciting match. Every point, there was a lot of long rallies, many breaks of serve. There were 18 breaks of serve. Um, so it was more about like who could hold their serve that was more consequential on the end result. So it was a very high-quality match. You know, both of them had positive winners-to-unforced error ratios. So Shea had 48 winners-to-44 unforced errors, and Arani had 39 winners-to-37 unforced errors. So very high quality there. And all in all, just a really exciting match to watch. And also on social media, it was super exciting to see people's reactions. And I mean, going into it, Shea's previous head-to-head with Arani was 3-0, to and in each match, Arani had served a bagel. But I mean, this time she really came back, and they played such a close match. And then post-match, the reporter asked for Shea to describe how she was feeling after the win, and Shea said, It's so good. I have a record against Arani three times every time I have a bagel. A bagel means zero. Before the match, I was just thinking, better don't eat a bagel today. <laughs> Yeah, Shay was really emotional after the match, too. She kissed the court, like, the where it said Melbourne. Her coach is from Australia, so she does have a close connection to the country. Um, and Shay is also just definitely, like, a fan-favorite player. And she's, as we've mentioned time and time again, really known for pulling off um, these big wins at the highest stages. Um, so she's going to be facing Marketa Vondrosova next in the round of 16, and that's also going to be super fun to watch because both of those players bring a ton of variety on the court. Um, and that match is also a great opportunity for both of them to make uh, the quarterfinals of the Australian Open. I honestly, I love Shay. She's so calm and collected. Just the energy she gives off on court is unmatched. And also, she's the current WTA doubles number one. I mean, she lost uh, in the second round of the doubles draw, but still in it in the singles. So she's a very talented and accomplished player. So moving on to the ATP match of the round, we have Novak Djokovic defeating Taylor Fritz. So this match was probably, this was so eventful, not even because of the tennis itself, but considering all that happened during the match. The score ended up being 7-6-6-4-3-6-4-6-6-2. And after the first two sets, it seems like it seemed like Djokovic had it in the bag, leaving no chance for Taylor to make it to the fourth round. 
But after a freak of Donovan injury, I think in the middle of the second set, Djokovic was weakened enough for Taylor to come back and win the next two sets. But there's more. In the middle of the fourth set, all spectators were asked to leave the stands because Melbourne went into that five-day lockdown we talked about in the hot headlines as of 11.59 p.m. that day. So definitely a bunch of interruptions during this match that changed the scores and kind of created some plot twists. So during the 10-minute break, Djokovic, um, fortunately for him, was able to take kind of like a makeshift medical timeout, and he recovered enough to be able to take the last set. And Taylor Fritz was a little bit salty about it after the match, understandably so. He said, quote, I mean, to be honest, like completely honest, it's absolutely ridiculous that at a Grand Slam match, we're asked to leave the court for 10 minutes in the middle of the match, like in the middle of the fourth set. I kind of agree with him in a way. Like, it's weird to start the match with all those spectators there and then have an interruption in the match knowing that you're going to have to get rid of those spectators at 11.59. So I honestly see where Fritz is coming from with this. And he also added to that later in that same press conference that he thought that the fans were kind of in his favor. So seeing them leave like that definitely changed something mentally for him. Yeah, but uh, in terms of Djokovic, that abdominal injury is definitely not good for him as we move further into the tournament. We're going to talk about this in a little bit um, because it does seem to be somewhat serious. Uh, But although after the match, Djokovic said, I'm obviously very, very proud of this, but at the same time also a bit worried because I don't know what's going on and I think it's a tear. So he said that this uh, win meant a lot to him, um, understandably so. Uh, Unclear about what the injury is looking like. since he's also one of the favorites going into this tournament. But, I mean, for Taylor... uh, I almost said Taylor Swift. Um, For Taylor (laughs) Fritz, this was a big opportunity. Um, Unfortunately, he couldn't close it out. I know he's probably gutted about that. But um, on the note of Taylor Swift, I thought it was kind of funny that on the the same day... On the same day that Taylor Swift released her, um, kind of like out of nowhere, released her uh, love story, Taylor's version, like the song that she re-recorded, that just a few hours later, Taylor Fritz was on the verge of an upset, but then couldn't close it out in the fifth set. I thought that was funny. So an eventful few hours for uh, Taylor's on literally opposite sides of the world. Um, But yeah, this was a very eventful match and definitely leaves a lot of question marks surrounding the defending champion. So moving into that round three recap, first up we have the WTA and who we think are going to make the semifinals. And these are the top seeds. So first up we have Ash Barty and Barty's half is pretty open in favor of her success here. I mean, Barty's playing super strongly. She has not dropped a set en route to the round of 16. She just defeated Alexandrova 6-2-6-4. And next for her is Shelby Rogers, who is certainly a dark horse because when it comes to hardcore Grand Slams recently, she's been playing really well. I mean, we saw her make it pretty deep into the U.S. Open last year. But considering how Barty is playing, it's not really looking that good for Rogers. And then after Rogers, Barty would have to face Elise Mertens, the 18th seed, or Mutova, the 25th seed. And Mertens has seen quite a bit of success this past year and is basically at the top of her game. But that still seems to be no match for Barty at this stage. And Muchova just upset Pliskova, the sixth seed, but recently that does not seem to be such a huge deal considering Pliskova's very up-and-down season. So yeah, things are really looking good for Barty making it to the semifinals. 
another player who seems to be unstoppable right now is Naomi Osaka, who we have faith that she's going to reach the semifinals despite her very tricky draws. Her serve has not been broken yet, and she most recently defeated Owens Jabor 6-3, 6-2, which that match we're going to talk about in just a bit. And she's going to be playing uh, last year's finalist, Garbinia Muguruza, in the next round, who definitely seems to bring her A game at the Australian Open. Um, Honestly, though, given the way that Osaka has been playing, she has pretty good chances against Muguruza. Um, We're going to preview that match also in our tiebreaker section, but Osaka overall is looking to be the strongest person in her section. And after this kind of round of 16 match, um, she would play either Shea Su Wei or Vondrosova in the quarterfinals, who, considering Naomi's level at the moment, um, she has a pretty good chance of beating them and reaching the semis. And then we have Arena Sabalenka, and we're not seeing Serena because Arena is... <laughs> their names match, I just realized. <laughs> <laughs> Arena is on fire, and she plays Serena next. It will definitely be difficult for Williams to beat her, considering the way that Sabalenka is playing right now. I mean, Sabalenka has won 23 out of her last 26 matches, so that's quite a positive record, if you ask me. So, past Williams, Sabalenka would either face Sviatic or Halep, depending on how that round 16 round of 16 match goes but once again we're not comparing the players or the ranking or their history in grand slams it's all on the level they can reach right now and Sabalenka surpasses both of them so those were kind of an overview of like the top seeds slash favorites who we think are making the semis on the WTA side so now we're going to do the same thing on the ATP side now before we do that though here is one person who we don't think, a top seed who we don't think is going to be making the semifinals, and that's Novak Djokovic. So, obviously, as we said, he injured himself in that match versus Fritz, and he said that he tore his muscle, which is pretty serious. Um, he said, quote, I know it's a tear, definitely, of the muscle, so I don't know if I'll manage to recover from that in less than two days. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to step out onto the court or not. So, he kept saying it's all up in the air, but who really knows? You know, he probably needs to go get it checked out. I think that's what he said he's going to do and get an ultrasound on it. But it definitely seems like a very serious injury. Um, but top players also know how to take care of it. So it, it's, we don't, I feel like we don't know enough about the injury to really know how he's going to recover from it. But it did seem pretty serious. And I'm also not sure if he practiced today. So that's, or whatever the day after his Fritz match um I think that was also up in the air for him it really depends on whether what he's taking into priority right now the results or his safety so I'm not really sure when it comes to Djokovic honestly because he did come back and win that last set even though he said he was planning to retire so you know we'll see how it goes I mean out of the big three also Djokovic is the least injury prone or the guy who's kind of done the best in terms of managing his injuries so he's definitely going to take this seriously um the tournament director Craig Tiley said he's confident that Djokovic will not be pulling out of the Australian Open so a lot of question marks but you know he does not seem to be in full physical health and so he's going to be playing Milos Raonic next this could potentially be a really big opportunity for Raonic to win which would really open up the draw um but then also say Djokovic does get through that match he would probably have to play Alexander Zverev who's looking pretty healthy so you know because of these potential matchups and this injury 
we don't think that Djokovic will be making the semis here. So next up, we have Dominic Thiem. And we actually think he could even make the final, considering Djokovic's recent injury. I mean, that really, that threw everything off. His path to the semifinal would be Dimitrov, then likely Felix Osher Eliassim, who he just recently defeated at the US Open, actually. And then after that, either Zverev or Djokovic, depending on his injury, once again. The semifinal versus Zverev or Djokovic would be more challenging, but Team definitely has the capability of reaching the semifinals by defeating Dimitrov or Felix. I mean, Team showed real physical and mental strength in his comeback win versus Kyrgios, and Kyrgios certainly brought his A-game, so this is definitely a confidence-boosting win for Team, and these are really good signs for him as we enter the deeper stages of the tournament. But either way, he does have a tougher match up coming up versus Grigor, and Dimitrov leads that head-to-head 3-2, to two, actually. But I think Team has more momentum, and that recent recent success pushing him into this matchup so definitely a great matchup there but we're saying that it's in favor of Tiam. another top seed who we think who i'm personally super confident is going to make the semifinals given his draw is daniel medvedev so he has a really nice section of the draw lined up for him whereas team is kind of like in a position like osaka where he has a very tough section of the draw but does have the capability to make through it med has a really nice section of the draw and definitely chance there to make the semi so he plays Mackenzie McDonald next the American he's actually another UCLA Bruin in addition to Jennifer Brady who has made it to the round of 16 at the Australian Open this year so that's pretty cool um and after that uh, Medvedev would either play Rude or Rublev in the quarterfinals and it's likely going to be Rublev um given his performance and Medvedev holds a pretty strong head-to-head against the Russian as we discussed in our last episode he had a bit of a weird third round match against Filip Krajinovic, though. So uh, Medvedev won the first two sets and had chances to break on the third set, but then the match ended up going to five. And you know, as usual, he threw a bit of his tan- a bit of a tantrum after the third set. He started yelling at his coach, and also he showed off some <laughs> trilingual skills right there. He yelled not only in English, not only in Russian, but he also yelled in French, which wow. I think is pretty awesome. Wow. <laughs> really shows the international nature of the sport to you. But anyway, his coach, Gilles Clarvara, who actually was the ATP coach of the year uh, in 2019, I think, actually ended up walking (laughs) out of the stadium. Um, And Medvedev said afterwards, he said just before leaving that he's sure I'm going to win the match, but he's going to (laughs) leave to let me be more calm. So I actually think that was a good move from his coach right there because Medvedev ended up bageling Krajinovic in the fifth set. But, you know, despite this weird match, um, Daniil has been playing amazingly since the end of 2020. And a lot of those wins have come against top players, especially in Paris and at Nito and the ATP Cup. Um, And his section of the draw, again, puts him in prime position to reach the semifinals. And not only looking to the semis, but considering the possible players he would face in the semis, which would either be Nadal, Tsitsipas, maybe Berrettini, um, and we know that Medvedev has this huge potential on hard courts, top players, Grand Slams. He really had that great success at the U.S. Open these past two years, too. He is another player who I think could certainly reach the final. So next up, we have Rafael Nadal, who we just discussed. Well, you just talked about 
when talking about Medvedev. So there are a few question marks surrounding Nadal because of his back injury at the ATP Cup, but after his round three win versus Cameron Norrie, Nadal said that this was the first time his back seemed to be improving, and he did take one day off of practice and gave his back time to heal, which seemed to be working. But either way, Nadal is not in an easy section of the draw. He faces Fognini next, who seems to be picking up his form quite well, especially after his straight sets win over Demonor. And then after that, it would be Tsitsipas or Berrettini, who would both pose a challenge in the quarterfinals. So definitely a lot of obstacles en route to the semifinal here for Nadal. And if his back does hold up, we think Nadal can make it to the semis. Um... But again, Berrettini and Tsitsipas, the winner of that match, has they have potential to make it to the semis as well. So that match would, those two matches are really um, big deciders in what's going to happen in the semis. So yeah, in conclusion, it's definitely a harder section for Nadal. And he has a tough path to the semifinals, but still has a good shot at it. And then going into the WTA back again, we're going to talk about who we think will be making... Actually, one note to add to the Nadal thing. I would just say that even if he can make it to the semifinals, he'd likely face um, Medvedev there again. And that's going to be very difficult for um, Nadal to make the finals as well since he'd have to face tough opponents to get there in the first place like Fognini, Sitzplus, slash Berrettini and then uh, Med, that's going to be difficult to get to the finals for Nadal. But um, anyways, back to the WTA. So now we're going to talk about some dark horses on both sides who we think could potentially make the semis as well. And we highlighted three top seeds, I believe, earlier in our WTA section who we think are going to make the semis. For our fourth semifinalist, I'm actually picking Jen Brady. And the reason that, you know, I'm picking her is because she's the next person in my opinion, like, who's playing the best at this tournament. You know, we've already seen that she can do well on those big hard court stages, like, literally just now at the U.S. Open. And her biggest weapons, we know them to be her serve and her forehand, are holding up very well so far. You know, she has... This is actually something I heard um, on ESPN yesterday. The commentators were saying that she has the most rotations per minute on her forehand out of anyone on the WTA. So she has the fastest forehand, the like strongest forehand out of anyone on the women's tour, which is really impressive. And she's using that to her advantage, especially given the faster courts at the Australian Open this year. So she's definitely, in my opinion, the strongest player in her quarter of the draw, which is that Svitolina quarter. She faces Donna Vekic in the round of 16, and then in the quarterfinal, the winner of Pegula... Um, and Svitolina. So there's a big opportunity here for Jen Brady to make the semifinals. And quite honestly, she could be, since she's in the top half of the, of the draw, she could be a very dangerous opponent for Ash Barty in the semis. So look out for Jen Brady because she seems to be, you know, really keeping her form. So next we have the ATP side. Who can make the semifinal that's a bit of a dark horse? So starting off with Milos Raonic, actually, the 14th seed. He just defeated Fukcevic, um 7-6-5-7-6-2-6-2 in the third round. And his next match is versus Djokovic in the round of 16. But again, we're seeing Djokovic's injury be a huge turnaround in the possible results for the 2021 Australian Open. And... I mean, Milos kind of snuck farther into the draw. Not many people are talking about him, but Djokovic's injury could definitely give him an upper hand. And then after that, it's mostly a Zverev quarterfinal, which 
he would really have to bring it, but he definitely has potential there. And then kind of, our, since there's a lot of question, more question marks surrounding the top seeds and Djokovic and Nadal than maybe on the WTA side, given their recent injuries, another potential, well, another kind of like a joint dark horse pair here is the winner of the Berrettini and Tsitsipas match. They're set to play in the round of 16, but whoever wins is probably going to play Nadal in the quarterfinals or Fognini, if Fognini beats Nadal. Um, and these two players definitely have a chance there. So looking specifically at their match, Stefanos defeated Berrettini in the first round at the Australian Open last year. But, you know, Berrettini has certainly picked up his level since then. And then four years ago at the US Open, Tsitsipas defeated Mateo in the qualifiers, which is kind of funny. But either way, these two players are looking very much in form, and they do have the potential to take out Nadal in the next round. Uh, maybe more so Stefano Tsitsipas because of his Grand Slam experience, and he does have um, one win against Nadal before. So this kind of dark horse is both of them combined because whoever comes out of this match, and if they can get through the quarterfinals, which they do have a good shot of doing, they could also be someone who makes it deep in this tournament. So next we have some ATP notable matches of this third round. Starting off with Dominic Thiem, the third seed, defeating Nick Kyrgios. So the score here was 4-6-4-6-6-3-6-4-6-4. So Thiem came back from two sets down, and we saw him do this at the US Open Finals, so maybe it's kind of his thing now. And both players agreed that the first game of the third set was definitely the turning point that allowed Team to come back and take the match. And honestly, they were both surprisingly like accepting and satisfied with the results. Kyrgios said, I'm pretty proud of myself. I took 13 months away from the game and to produce that level and go toe-to-toe with one of the best players in the world. I actually physically felt pretty good. I'm sore now, but he's a hell of a player. He's so disciplined, he's so composed, and his level doesn't drop. So a lot of praise coming from Kyrgios towards the third seed and US Open champ. So, And then TM said, giving up is never an option. There's always a chance, but today I was so close to losing the match. And they also got used to his game and to the court and to the great atmosphere. So the longer the match went, the more comfortable I felt. So this definitely proves that maybe TM is more of a late starter when it comes to big matches like these. And I mean, if he can come back after two sets down, I mean, like that really throws his results up in the air because you'd think that he's losing and then all of a sudden he comes back and wins the whole match. So definitely a up and down player, but then in the end he wins. It must also be very stressful for like, diehard Dominic team fans to see him make every match a bit of like I mean even in the first round he took the first set to a tiebreaker and everyone was kind of like uh what is happening um and then also remember that French Open match versus Hugo Gaston that went five sets or like the Diego Schwartzman that Diego Schwartzman versus team match though in the quarterfinals is one of my favorite matches for these past few months that was great but yeah as you said team definitely is a pretty mentally strong player if he can make these five set matches come th- pull through for him um our next notable match is Felix Ogielliasim the 20th seed defeating Denis Shapovalov the 11th seed in straight sets 7-5 7-5 6-3 um this is kind of sad cuz these are both players who we also love um but I also just think that Shapo was going in as the favorite into this, especially considering their head-to-head. Um, but great for Felix to pull out the win in straight sets, and they actually go back 
a while because you know they're both from Canada they you know grew up training together and you know Felix said it was a good match on my part it is never easy to play Dennis we played for the first time when we were nine so we go back a long time so this makes FAA's uh, win-loss record this year to be seven to one so pretty good start to the year um and you know in uh, coordinate coordinating with um, rounders force at victory against Vukšević in the third round. This is the first time in the open era history that there will be two Canadian men in the round of 16. So that is very exciting. We're seeing a lot of success from Canadian men on the ATP side and American women on the WTA side with Rogers, Pagula, and Brady and Williams. Um, so certainly some good stuff there from North America. And then next we have Matteo Berrettini, the ninth seed, defeating Karen Kachanov, the 19th seed. So the score here was 7-6, 7-6, 7-6. So a straight set win, but either way, taking it to tiebreak, that's still a bit of a little stressful turnover when it comes to the end of the sets. And Berrettini is a U.S. Open semifinalist, but he has never made it past the second round of the Australian Open. And now he's going into the round of 16. So definitely improvement here. Again, talking about how he's picked up his level since last year and how that will definitely help him going into the Tsitsipas match. And in the first set, Berrettini took a medical timeout because of an abdominal issue. So I don't know why, what this trend is with abdominal issues in the Australian Open and the third round. I mean, first Djokovic, now Berrettini. And then later in one of the tie breaks, Berrettini was behind 1-4, but came back to win it 5-5. So definitely a lot of Seven, mental five. toughness. 7-5. No, he came back to 5-all. And then oh, after oh, that, oh. the score was kind of oh, up and down. And I then thought you won. meant that. I thought you meant he won it at five on. I was like, <laughs> how is that possible? It's not. It's not. Um, yeah. Hopefully, his injury is good before the Sitsipas match because that has potential to be a really exciting one. So, going into the WTA notable matches, the first one is Serena Williams defeating Anastasia Potapova, 7-6-6-2. So, Potapova was actually a 5-4 and serving for the set, had two set points also in that first set, and then proceeded to hit five double faults. And then Potapova also had an early break in the second, and I think she was also up in the first set tie break, so a lot of missed opportunities for Potapova there. Oh, wait. Um, I just realized I watched this match. That's why it was so familiar. (laughs) um serena's definitely struggled struggled to find her top form in the first set but nevertheless she pulled through potapova was a really big hitter so serena definitely had to channel her defensive skills and honestly sometimes these matches are like tough um you know not always at your best level but you're still able to win so that was a great from serena um and she was really happy to have gotten that win because last year serena bowed out in the third round of the australian open um so good to see her through to the second week. Um, from Potapova, on the other hand, she's only 19, so pretty good performance considering she's had such little experience at this level. Um, but in terms of what's next for Serena, this wasn't as strong of a performance from her in this match as we saw last week at the Yara Valley Classic and in her first couple of matches. And she also faces a huge challenge with Sabalenka in the round of 16 who just, like, completely thrashed Anne Lee, who was also playing really well, and Sabalenka, as you said, has won 23 of her last 26 matches. So, I mean, we would definitely put Sabalenka in the stronger position at the moment, but 
Serena is a 23-time Grand Slam champion, so she certainly does have the capability to regroup and get through this match. And if she's able to do so, that is going to be huge for her going into um, the quarterfinals in terms of mental strength and confidence. So um, Sabalenka is definitely in the more prime position, but you never know because she's facing off against a champion. And then next we have Naomi Osaka, the third seed, versus Anjabor, the 27th. So Osaka won 6-3-6-2. The scoreline is definitely deceiving because Ons put a lot of pressure on Naomi's service games. And despite some struggles on serve, Naomi played pretty well. Um, Jabor is a very tricky opponent, and this is definitely a good win to have going into the second week of the tournament for Naomi. Um, another match that we wanted to highlight was Karolina Muhova, the 25th seed, defeating compatriot Karolina Pliskova. They both have the same name, um, both from the Czech Republic. Pliskova was up 5-love in the first set. She served for the set twice, and Muhova ended up winning the match 7-5, 7-5. So this is a huge choke from Pliskova. This is, this is what Josefina and I have been saying for weeks now. You know, Pliskova is such an unpredictable player. She's really struggled to find her form over the past few years, especially at the Grand Slams. Um, you know, she brought Sasha Bayan on as a coach for this season. He's probably, they're, they're probably not on good terms at the moment after this match. Um, but nevertheless, great for Muhova to hang in there for that first set and carry it through in a tight second set as well. And she's going to play Elise Mertens, who has been looking solid. Um, and she's going to be playing her in the round of 16. So that's also going to be exciting. And then finally, for the WTA side on notable matches, we have Donna Vekic, the 18th seed, defeating Kaya Kanepi. So 5-7-7-6-6-4, Donna took this match. Kanepi was up 3-0 in the second set and had a match point. But And after Vekic was definitely emotional, this was such a thrilling match, and it was a great win. And it's really nice to see her having the success at the Grand Slam level again, as she was a very accomplished junior player. And going into the round of 16, which is her career best result at the Australian Open, she faces Jennifer Brady next. This is definitely a difficult matchup, but and it has the potential to be a very exciting match, but it will definitely prove to be an obstacle for Vekic. And then moving into our tiebreaker section where we choose some matches from the WTA and ATP side for the next round, this one being the round of 16, and we choose the winners. So, Shravi, take it away with the first WTA one. This is probably the WTA match that maybe aside from the Sabalenka and Serena one that everyone's talking about, Garbina Muguruza, the 14th seed, versus Naomi Osaka, the 3rd seed. I just think that the fact that two multiple-time Grand Slam champions and very recent former world number ones are already playing each other in the main draw of a slam is pretty crazy. And this kind of just goes to show you the imbalance of the draws. There are 31 Grand Slam singles titles in the bottom half of the draw, which is the Simona Halep, Osaka, Serena Williams section. Um, versus one Grand Slam title, singles title in the top half of the draw, which is Ash Barty, the 2019 Roland Garros champion. So obviously Serena's numbers throw this off a bit, but even still you would have... Just a, a bit, a little balance. lopsided there. Yeah, but you know, everyone knows, including Naomi, that she has a very difficult draw, and this is the round of 16 match that everyone's kind of like eyeing and predicting, and now it's here. 
So, you know, Muguruza as the defending finalist, she's been very much informed these past few weeks. She hasn't dropped more than four games in her uh, first three Australian Open matches at this tournament, but this is the key difference. Osaka has been playing much higher quality opponents so far in the Australian Open. Pavlyuchenkova, Garcia, Jabor, and she's beaten them pretty handedly, and she looks like the toughest player to beat in this section, given her tennis the past few months, so... As long as she can solve those issues with her serve that were kind of coming up in the Jabor match, I think that Osaka does have a chance to take this win. And I think as Josephine, as you mentioned earlier, if she can get over this hurdle, she's going to face Shea Su Wei or Vondrosova in the quarterfinals, who she also has the capability of beating. So the path to the semis, at least, looks pretty um, possible here, if not the title. And then next for the WTA, my match is Jessica Pagula versus Alina Svitolina. So neither one have dropped a set, and both are looking really sturdy going into this match. Pagula has definitely picked up her level, so seeding should not be considered going into this match. And Pagula has beaten top names like Mladenovic and Victoria Zarenka also, like leading up to this match in the round of 16. So I'm actually going to give it to Bagula because she has that upset potential and it's not only one, it's been multiple recently. So she definitely has the potential to do it again. I definitely agree. Also, after her match, because a lot of these players have started, we did an Instagram post about this, but a lot of the players have been like signing really nice things on the camera. So, um, Jessica Pagula actually said something like on her when she was signing it, she said something like, "Let's go, Jen, or good luck, Jen, uh, for Jennifer Brady, because her match was upcoming." So that was really nice. Um, our next WTA tiebreaker, we're doing three on each side. So this is our last one for the WTA. Is Simona Halep the second seed versus Iga Swiatek the Swiatek the fifteenth seed? I feel like we're not talking about Halep enough, but we kind of covered this in our last episode about how like she does have. There's, there's definitely some top players there who could beat her before her making a super deep run. And Iga is definitely one of them. Last time they played each other was at Roland Garros, which obviously Shuantek ended up winning. And Iga hasn't dropped a set at a Grand Slam since the US Open, so she's definitely in top form. Their head-to-head is tied 1-1. We kind of discussed this at the French Open. They met back-to-back at Roland Garros in 2019 and 2020. Um, but... This is obviously new surface, new year, uh, new season, and the fast courts definitely seem to be suiting Iga's game more. She's carrying also more momentum and confidence into this match, I would argue. So it's could it could be very tight, probably very tight, um, maybe even a three setter. But I just think that because of this success and momentum that she's carrying in and the surface, uh, I think that Shuantek is gonna take the win for this. And then starting off with the ATP matches, first off we have Djokovic, the first seed, versus Raonic, the 14th. So currently their head-to-head is actually 11-0 in Djokovic's favor. But then again, we have that Djokovic injury and Raonic making it through the rounds relatively easily. So definitely a chance for an upset with all that considered. On our second ATP tiebreaker is Felix Ojeeliasim versus Aslan Karatsev. So this is a huge opportunity for one of these guys to make their first ever Grand Slam 
quarterfinal, and you've obviously probably heard of FAA, but let's talk a little bit about Karatsev. So he's from Russia. This is his first Grand Slam main draw, and he suffered a tough injury a few years ago and struggled to find his form after that. But after the COVID break, he became a huge force to be reckoned with at the challenger level. So several successful tournaments. He won 18 out of his 20 last challenger matches at the end of the 2020 season. And 16 of those wins were in straight sets. So he's been doing really well these past few months. He had a very stellar performance versus Diego Schwartzman in the third round. But FAA is also doing very well. As Josefina said, the 7-1 record since the start of 2021. He made the finals of one of the tune-up events and then just beat Chapo. But the key for FAA, because we've kind of seen this with him in all the finals that he's reached... He just has to make sure that the pressure of like, you know, being in the round of 16 and a potential quarterfinal doesn't get to him because this is a huge opportunity for the Canadian to make it there. So I just think that this is going to be a mental battle. Um, but given kind of, you know, being in the top level a bit more and considering the um, top names that FAA has beaten in the, over the past few weeks, um, I'm going to give it to the Canadian, the slight edge to get to the quarterfinals after this match. And then finally, for the ATP side, we have, again, talking about Stefano Tsitsipas, the fifth seed, versus Matteo Bertini, the ninth. So we talked about them in relation to getting to the semifinal and how they are both definitely a huge force to be reckoned with, especially for Nadal when it comes to the quarterfinal matchups. So, again, Stefanos is leading this head-to-head, but we have... and the most recent match between them has was the first round last year at this same tournament but again Matteo has definitely picked up his level since then I mean um we talked about his flop era definitely a lot and we're pretty sure that that is over so definitely a lot of potential going into this tournament except for that little abnormal abominable (laughs) abominable (laughs) no abominable no abdominal 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 injury (laughs) Yeah, you said it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, I am going to give it to Bertini because... You um, are? Yeah, I I am. Ooh. Because, like I I said, I don't think last year's um, Tsitsipas defeating Bertini in the first round should be taken into account here because, like, this is basically a whole different Matteo playing. So, yeah. I also think Bertini's been beating up quite a few top players these past few weeks. Like, Kachanov in the third round is not easy team obviously it was yeah team uh atp cup was i also think it's funny that like team italy not only did they get to the finals of the atp cup but they're like still here in the australian open main draw so um that's also pretty exciting and also you know if yannick sinner didn't have to face in a shopable in the first round we might have even seen him make a deep run here but this is pretty um, much spaghetti with vegemite (laughs) All right, so these are some exciting matches coming up. We're very excited to watch. As we said in our last episode, we have a bit of a long weekend and break from school, so definitely more time to watch uh, some live matches later into the night. So we'll be back to give you an update on the round of 16 and looking into the quarterfinals. Um, But yeah, thanks for joining us for this. Thank you so much for joining us, and that is game, set, and match for today. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you all the coverage of the Australian Open and, of course, all the tea on tour. 
Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at H-O-T-Y-R underscore tennis pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released on Monday, where we will recap the round of 16 and preview the quarterfinals, so get excited for that. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shravia. That is, if you enjoyed this episode. If you didn't like it, please tell your friends my name is Ben. My name is Ben. And Shravi's <laughs> name is Harry. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>